And I caught her and I said, how was last night? How was your sleep in your first, your first apartment? And she said, I kept on waking up and pinching myself. And I just couldn't believe this is my real life. I didn't have to be scared of someone else coming in. And she, that woman now is a full-time case manager, has a, a one and a half year old now. Uh, her whole life has, has changed. So often at, at the end of Empower Her Network, not only do we celebrate this fiscal independence, that they've reached this, this amazing place that they don't need to depend on another agency, it's really kind of the beginning, right? So it's the beginning of their self-actualization process of, wow, I did this. This is Susan Chestnut of the Chestnut Law Firm. This is my podcast, From Foster Care to Family Law, A Child Welfare Focus. I was raised in the foster care system. I was a child abuse investigator for the Department of Children and Families, and now I'm an attorney practicing family law where my passion is to focus on the best interests for the children involved. In my podcast, I will be meeting with industry experts exploring the seemingly impossible scenarios that families often struggle to manage. Each episode will include insights and concepts from professionals that deal with these issues every day. I'm here with the co-founder of Empower Her Network, Christy Norbert. Hi, Christy. Thank you so much for being on with me today on this beautiful Saturday. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us all how you got into what you're doing right now? What was that moment in your life? Sure. So... By training, I am a social worker. I have my LCSW, depending on the state, you have letters behind it or not. And I've always worked with marginalized communities. So I've worked with marginalized communities for 22 years. And I was approached eight years ago to help run a nonprofit that was working with human trafficking in Southeast Asia. And for me, I was like, that is too heavy for me human trafficking I was like I can't get into that met with the the chair at that time I was like I'll just meet with them see how it goes and after that conversation I'll never forget driving home and I was like who do I think I am this is what I know now is the biggest human rights atrocity in our lifetime and I'm unable to lean into it when I've worked with marginalized populations I'm not living this I my gosh, if I think that, I can't imagine how oppressed this community might, must be and the lack of services that must be available. So I actually started by running an organization in Southeast Asia, finding out about human trafficking there. I had my real, that first was my aha moment. And then I was in Calcutta and we were in the red light district and a fight broke out and the way it, it is, it's super narrow in there and we were being led by some of our partners and this fight broke out. So we were all pushed against the sides and I'll never forget it. Susan, I made eye contact down an alleyway of a brothel and made eye contact with this woman. And I believe that we probably locked eyes. It was probably for three seconds, it felt five minutes. And I was like, we're no different. Her and I are, we're probably the same age we, the only thing that's ever separated her and I are circumstance. And we didn't have any choice in that. And it really got me, it really hit me hard. I'll never forget leaving the red light district. We went to get tea or something. And I was like, I'm going to vomit. I'm, I just, it was my biggest moment that I was like, this is it. If this, 
if this is happening to somebody, if I just change seats, if I just change the place I was born, if I just changed any part of my circumstance, I'd be in the same spot she is in. And that's not okay. So that was really the moment that I was like, okay, this is a thing now that I can't ever unsee, unhear, and undo something about it. You can't unring that bell after that. Mm-mm. So you started the Empower Her Network. Tell me how you started it. What was the idea behind it? So we, working in Southeast Asia, I started doing research about what was happening in the United States. And what I learned was through agencies providing emergency care for survivors when they exited the life that people were doing, depending on geographic location, but were providing therapeutic services, residential services, legal services, sometimes job training, sometimes language training. But at some point, what I learned from these aftercare providers were at some point they exhaust services. And what happens when they exhaust services is survivors are at the same vulnerable spot that they were prior to their trafficking. Because sometimes they don't have a support system, but sometimes it's like dropping them off in another country. That's how one of our advocates describe it is, okay, you have your clothes, you might have a minimum wage job now, but you know nothing about this country and you don't know how to speak the language and you don't know how to ride the public transportation system or get a car if there's not one. You don't know how to navigate anything. And the only thing you know is when you know you are being trafficked. And so it's a really hard path forward for when they exhaust those services to say, yeah, I wanna take a totally different path that I know nothing about. So we started with a pilot program. Like I said, I've been training, I'm a social worker. I live in Connecticut. We got funding for four survivors in New York City to start on what is now empowerment plans, to start to say for survivors who are ready to be a change agent in their life. So they have some level of stability, right? They're not in crisis mode anymore. They're not in necessarily survival mode. I say that kind of in quotes because it's all relative, but they're not living day to day. They might be in a safe house. They might be in a shelter. They might have a job, but they're really ready for what that next step looks like. They just don't know how to get there. They don't have anyone to walk alongside with them. So I, I traveled to New York quite a bit and within probably, I don't know, it was like 10 days or something, we had a waiting list that other survivors were like, wait a second, I need that. And other case managers were like, wait, my client needs that. And so we have taken off since then. And that was for women at that time in the summer, oh my gosh, five years ago in the summer. And now we're 179 in our entire network. So it's just grown. And, and the hope in that is that there's so many people at this crossroads of saying, I actually, I really want to become a cosmetologist. That's all I've ever wanted to do, but I have two minimum wage jobs. I have no idea how to do that. And to have somebody walk alongside of you and and guide you in that, not defining what success is, asking them what success is, has been um, really transformational for our whole population. And so that's how we started. I still am an advocate. I still, I'm an advocate now in New England. I still think that's really important for me to always continue that line of work as well. And then we are now in nine different locations. We also operate virtually in some rural locations. Yes. And you actually have some locations in Florida as well. Here where I am. Yeah. How many locations do you have? So we have nine locations throughout the country. 
Excellent. And you and I were speaking beforehand and you mentioned it just now, you were saying that you get some of your referrals or some of the information for your participants from other organizations. Can you explain that part? Yeah. So we only work. So I think back to the beginning, the idea of human trafficking in general is that people really think that it's this overseas problem and faraway problem. And the reality is that it exists in every town and every backyard and every city all over the United States. We just don't, we don't know what that looks like. And it's really scary to lean into that conversation. So we decided when we started, this is such a huge problem that the only way to address it is to be part of what we call the movement, part of the anti-trafficking movement. We don't want to exist in an island. We don't want to repeat any other problems that uh, nonprofits have had in the past, myself and uh, our co-founder, Abby, have worked at other nonprofits and we're like, let's avoid all those pitfalls of what people fall into and let's become part of the movement. So that first partner in New York City, now we have 60, over 60 partners nationwide. Wow. And those partners go into a contract with us. So it's all of those amazing organizations providing that crisis service of saying, mm-hmm. okay, we have a safe house that you can stay at for six months. We have legal support to help you get you a trafficking visa. We have a drop-in center for trafficking survivors. So it looks different everywhere we go. And they come in contract with us. And then when they think and they believe because of the work that they've done as case managers for the most part, that someone is ready for this level of service, is ready to be what we call, they become nominations and then members of the Power Network to be part of this plan that is transformational and not everyone's ready for it, they nominate survivors to empower her network. After they're nominated to empower her network, so you can't self-nominate. I get calls quite a bit. I get emails from survivors. Hey, I really need to get into this program. And I'm always like, okay, who are you talking to? Who is, do you have any support system? Now, if they don't have a support system, we'll find one and we'll create, we can create a system that is a nomination, but it's a really different conversation than a survivor going to get those immediate resources and the emergency resources to having a conversation with an advocate and the person that nominated them and saying, why did you nominate them to empower her network? For anyone that's in a marginalized population, they're so used to having systems in place and often becoming dependent on systems and that's their survival. That's good, good for them because they're trying to survive. So to be able to have that conversation and hear from a case manager, they've told me for years that they wanted to go to culinary school and they have no idea how to do it. They are the most ambitious, motivated person I've ever seen. They've been trying to learn English for three years and we just got diagnosed with a learning disability and they're going to pass their GED. Like it's all over the place, but you could see the survivor's body language change be like, wait, I'm nominated for something. I did something really awesome in your program, you noticed in me that I can get more support. So it's like a celebrate, like congratulations for your nomination. How awesome it is that you got to a point that someone sees you at the place of of almost getting to fiscal independence. So it's pretty exciting. We work then, sometimes it's two weeks, sometimes it's two months, sometimes it's two years on what that nomination looks like on what are they ready to do. So some people are really excited to be nominated and they're like, wait a second, I'm actually not ready for that level of work. 
I actually don't want to do that. I'd rather stay in this shelter for another six months because I need to work on my mental health. Some people are like, press go. I am, I've been ready to press go forever. I'm, I know exactly what I want to do. So then when we press go, we call it, that's the empowerment plan. And that's the 12 to 18 months of really hard work that we, that actually members, the survivors in our program, map it out and say, this is what I want to do in the next 12 to 18 months. This is where my barriers are. This is where I need help. And sometimes they don't know where they need help. We, we say, hey, maybe you um, shouldn't use doing DoorDash to pay for your books. You know, we can help with that. Why don't we pay for your books and you save DoorDash and put it in your savings account? So the empowerment plan looks different for every single member in our program, but the end goal is always the same and that's fiscal independence. And what I'm hearing from you is that before they're nominated, they are learning skills and they're receiving services, but they're not receiving the tools for independence. And that's what your program is for the longevity of that independent lifestyle so that they don't return. What barriers do you identify when you're just common barriers that you identify when you're developing those empowerment plans that exist for these individuals? So the four buckets that we really are as creative as possible about are advocacy, housing, education, and employment. We can be, we found many ways to fit many things in those buckets. Um, because I, I think one of our first example was this woman who was from, she was a master's seamstress in Columbia and she was attending this, I forget what it was called, but it was like basically a job program. She had to sit from eight to four every day and prove that she was like looking for jobs. And at night she would go home, open her sewing machine and do what she loved. And she was, I think she was in her fifties at that point. So long story short, we helped her create a business plan. We're not experts in business, but I'll get back to your question in a second, but uh, we bought her two industrial sewing machines. She now has a, a storefront and an operating. She's got clients. She's making it work. She has incredible stuff that she's doing. And it really just took an outside the box thinking. And that was her employment empowerment plan. I think advocacy is huge, right? So we didn't used to have advocacy as one of our buckets, but we always had advocates and advocates they are most of the time, well, all of the time trauma-informed, most of the time clinicians that work in each of these locations. So we have 13 nationwide, 13 advocates, and they, they provide that advocacy services. They provide that guidance of being the bumpers on a bowling lane almost, of being like, hey, wait, you said you want to do this. Where are you? And it's a check-in. I check in with somebody, one of the members I work with every week that's you said you want to go to AA meeting every week. You said you wanted to work out every week. You said you wanted to continue to get a 4.0 in your master's program. You want to do DoorDash. You want to get custody. Like it's all those things that they name. We check in with every single week. So advocacy is really important. And then I think housing is the number one area, no mm -hmm. matter what location we're in, housing is a huge barrier. So imagine someone that's trafficked has no credit or really bad credit sometimes, many times they have a criminal record due to their trafficking experience. And by the way, who has enough money to put in a down payment or a deposit? First, last, security? Yeah. No. When you're getting your, you have your first minimum wage, sometimes two minimum wage jobs. 
So we help as much as we can with the housing piece. Once they get stabilized in the housing piece, they're able to start dreaming of more things. We do things like we try really hard to get housing philanthropic exceptions with landlords. So that's a way to always get involved, right? If we're looking for any housing development or landlords that say, you know what, I want to give that person a chance because it's not, we don't provide a voucher program. So where we're so different in housing is that there's voucher programs that people can qualify for, but they're not paying for it then, which means that they're not building their credit. They're not owning that. So they're still in the same situation. It's what we were talking about earlier with all the moratoriums. It's just putting a bandaid over it. And we're never really about putting a bandaid over anything. We're like, every time that we create an empowerment plan, we ask ourselves the question, how is this going to provide long-term sustainability for when we're not there? And so if it ever has the answer of this help, this will help them get by for three months, that doesn't work for us. That doesn't make any right. sense. And so housing is a big piece with, if they can afford a rent, we can, if we can help with the deposit, we can help with furnishings unless somebody else does it. And then they're able to start building that credit and live in, in somewhere. And then the other ones are employment and education uh, doesn't always look like traditional education. It's often vocational training that people are interested in. And then employment is mostly connections and networking of, can we get employment partners? Are there people that can understand that survivors need some type of break once in their life to get some first job, regardless of necessarily their gaps in their resume or their criminal background? Can we be part of that? So those are the, the four buckets that we operate in. That was a very long answer to your question. It, but it was a necessary answer because there's so many different facets to exactly what you're doing for empowerment. And I like that you said not putting a Band-Aid over it because it's about longevity and sustainability, right? Otherwise, it would be a short-term program. And I noticed that with your empowerment plans that sometimes they last 18 months to two years. Tell me what an empowerment plan is, how it's developed with the participant and what it is that your ultimate goal is with that empowerment plan and how long it generally takes. So the average time is 12 to 18 months. However, the pandemic really has changed kind of our statistics from the last year because a lot of people went longer and they needed to go longer because so their rug was pulled out from under them. And for someone that's working, you know, a minimum wage job, that's not a livable wage job. So when they get that taken away and then have to learn how to apply for unemployment or get their stimulus check or whatever it is, if they're getting that, sometimes it took eight months to get it for some of our our members. Over 60% were, actually 80%, sorry, were affected. And so it's, the average right now is about 19, 20 months, but I think we'll go back to the 12 to 18 months. So what an empowerment is plan is, the first question we ask nominees when they come to Empower Her Network is where do you see yourself in two years? And for somebody that's used to being in survival mode or the beginning of stabilization mode, they haven't thought that far ahead. And so it's really cool to say, they can say, I don't know. There's no right answers, right? But they quickly are like, wait a second. I actually could see myself, my biggest dream is getting custody back of my kids. I was in jail. I didn't have custody. And then you can see how housing, education, and employment fill their biggest goal of getting custody back. Or they can say, which happens a lot, is I just want to be independent and be able to pay my own bills. I don't want to have to be dependent on any of these programs or organizations. I don't want to have to like think about calling my pimp because I don't have any money 
to pay my bills. So the only thing I really want to do is figure out a way to be independent and pay my bills and take care of my kids. So whatever the answer is, to that's how we work backwards. So they say, these are my goals. This is where I see myself. We, say, we used to say one year and then five years. Now we, we put on the two-year mark because that seems like someone can think that far ahead. And then we put, what does it look like to get there? So if in two years you want to get your GED or you want to graduate from community college or you want to become an esthetician or you want to become a real estate agent, you want to write your own book, you want to own your own business, you want to start your own nonprofit, you want to be the manager at Taco Bell. I'm just trying to think of everything that's even been this week. Great. Then we want you to do that, right? Like it's a yes from us. Now it has to be like reasonable. It can't be, it can't be, I want an OnlyFans page and make money that like that's a whole nother issue. We would never support that type of exploitation. But once they decide that, and by the way, if you're 18 or 24, it's really hard to decide that. So uh, a lot of nominations are from foster care and one, one in seven runaways, by the way, is trafficked from foster care. And most of, like, I think the majority, not, I, I don't have the numbers because we don't ask that question in our process. In the Northeast, who I work with, all have been in foster care. And so when we ask them that question, not only do they, they're young because they have aged out of the foster care system. Sometimes they don't have any of those services, or sometimes they received anti-trafficking services when they were under 18. So they're nominated to us right when they are 18. And they're like, maybe get my high school diploma, maybe get my GED. I don't know. I want to have a part-time job and maybe get a car. So we don't, we take that one-time investment. If they say they want to go to community college, it takes a really long time back and forth to make sure that we make any investment, both financially, but also with our advocacy to make sure that they're ready for that. So maybe the first level is stabilization of housing because they most of the time need that. And then we'll work a little bit slower. Whereas if we have somebody that I'm thinking about this past week who had been out of the life 26 years. She was like, oh my wow. God, I need to finish my bachelor's forever. She has her own baking business on the side. She's like, no one's ever offered to support me. So I could never dream about it. She started her classes this week. That's like, amazing. So that's different. She's thought about it for over 20 years. She helps with her six grandchildren and she's, I can't wait to get my bachelor's. It's finally happening. So empowerment plans look different for every single person, but it's a, it's a month plan. So maybe in July, you're working on maybe July and August, you're saving money to be able to buy some furniture for when you move out of the safe house. And you're making sure you're checking, you're doing the budget with us to making sure that, okay, I can afford $700 a month in rent and doing the research of where does that mean I can live? And we're helping with that. So by September, you can start looking for places and they know Empower Network, if it's part of the plan, will help with that deposit as long as we have worked with them and see that they can afford that rent and they can afford utilities. The same thing with transportation. If we help with any type of transportation, can they maintain if there's a car payment? You know, we don't want to set up anyone for failure. And I can't believe I have learned so much about when you don't have credit or you have really bad credit, or if you 
have any type of record how much harder the world is, right? I had someone try and go get a car yesterday and her, she has a credit score of 520, 18% they were trying to give her for a payment. And I was like, no, no, we're not. She's like, it's the only way to build my credit. And I was like, no, let's figure out a different thing then. You can build your credit by your insurance or she's looking at, at getting uh, a housing situation changed. But so there, there's just so many layers to this oppression. And then maybe the empowerment plan has at six months, continue to work with my attorney on my green card. And then we are, we'll help communicate with that attorney. The survivors we work with are all 18 and over U.S. born or immigrant identification of any type of gender, any type of trafficking. So that looks, you know, different depending on what they're trying to work on. We always have the end goal of what they want to accomplish at the end of if their end goal is in January of 2022, I graduate community college with my associate's degree, and I want to continue to take my license in social work as a bachelor or as a, with an associate's degree, the application cost is this. I see myself reaching that point then, and then I can get a promotion at work in January. Mm-hmm. We start with that. And we start with that blueprint and we work towards it and then life happens and we're super messy as human beings. So we adjust as we go. And it would be amazing if the empowerment plan that we created at the beginning was always like, we always fell in step. Um, That's just not how we work as humans. No, life happens. Yeah. You get sick or you get, you know, global pandemic hits or Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you lose your job or your mom gets, there's like a million things that, that happen. So that's the kind of the blueprint and the roadmap that we work with. And then we meet with people weekly, sometimes bi-weekly. It just depends sometimes twice a week. It depends on what their needs are. We used to do everything in person. We're now virtual just, you know, because of the way the world is, we hope to go back in person pretty soon. Can you tell the listeners of some of the success stories of the way that survivors have utilized your program? You mentioned earlier, someone has a storefront bakery. I know earlier we were speaking about an immigrant status. What, what about some of those kinds of things? Yeah, so that's the really amazing part. So out of the 70 alumni we, we have right now, every single one has reached fiscal independence. Now we're so new, right? We'll be five years old in a couple months. I'm sure it won't always be that way. And there's still members. There are members that have not necessarily gone back into the life, but have relapsed with their addictions. So we have pretty great success rate right now. And that looks anywhere from graduating culinary school and getting a job, starting their own business, starting, many people are, are writing books on different parts of their trafficking experience. Sometimes they become survivor leaders in the state of Florida. You mentioned this earlier and I wanted to tell you. So victim advocacy in the school system was passed, I think in 2019. So we supported a lot of survivors becoming victim specialists. And then they were paid by the school system to go in and teach the signs of human trafficking. Awesome. Um, Which was totally awesome. It was like a no brainer for us that the Mm -hmm. state was going to pay them to go into schools and they just needed the training to do to get more, another source of income coming in. There is one person that has graduated and gone to law school that we helped through the end of her degree and getting into law school with her housing, her books. There's a lot of education that happens with 
gaps in tuition, getting them through, and then getting them to networking to different jobs. There are some people who, like the people that I met at the very beginning, the first four people, I helped move one woman into her first apartment after she lived in a shelter for 10 years. She was trafficked for 20, her first apartment in New York. And I'll never, this is like such a good example. This woman is a boss. She's amazing. She had her first apartment as one bedroom. I, I know exactly how it looks like. And she were like, okay, we'll help you with furniture too. You're moving from a shelter. She has a bag. And she was like, picked out all this furniture on hold. So I went to go look at it and I was like, how big is your apartment? She was like, I don't know. She was like, I have square foot. I have no idea. We went to back to her apartment. It was a small New York apartment. I was like, half your furniture couldn't fit in here. So going over her and like with that, the blue tape and measuring things out. And we were laughing so hard. There's no reason for her to know or think about that. But we shut that door. And I think the first couple of people is where it hits me the most is that they were like, I was able to lock the door from the inside. One person said wow. to me, she, English was her second language. And she said, it was right around Christmas time that first year. And I called her and I said, how was last night? How was your sleep in your first, your first apartment? And she said, I kept on waking up and pinching myself. And I just couldn't believe this is my real life. I didn't have to be scared of someone else coming in. And she, that woman now is a full-time case manager, has a, a one and a half year old now. Her whole life has, wow. has changed. So often at, at the end of Empower Her Network, not only do we celebrate this fiscal independence, that they've reached this amazing place that they don't need to depend on another agency. It's really the beginning. So it's the beginning of their self-actualization process of, wow, I did this. What else can I do? Absolutely. And, and there are now where we have these alumni of Empower Network, we're having our first alumni retreat in the fall. I can't even wait. And Tell me about it. I want to hear about it. Yeah. So we started a speaker series last June virtually. So we had survivor leaders. We decided an advocate decided that our members of Empower Her Network were really feeling isolated, disconnected, just like everybody else was. And they could really benefit from hearing from other survivor leaders who continue to be inspiring to them. And so we had the most amazing group of survivor leaders come speak to the members of Empower Her Network. So nominations, members, alumni. The first one was a board member, Kadisa Phelps. And I'll never forget it, it was last June. We did the thing and people were crying. They were like, oh my God, I'm not alone on this like new path forward. Because oftentimes people are just think, okay, yeah, I'm a survivor of trafficking. I might go back into the life. I might, maybe I'll, they don't say it like this, of course, but like maybe my option is life to get exploited or to be taken advantage of. They often feel like throwaways. They, they say this, they often feel ignored. They feel like people don't see them. And so to be on a screen, so we're national, where you see 50 people that are in the same position you are that are going after their dreams for the first time and feeling supported and empowered and going after the change wow. was like awesome. So we've been in it a year, which we wanted to do it a year. And then we wanted to launch our alumni network. We're going to continue the speaker series because it's so successful, but our alumni now we're, we're splitting the country in half. So we'll be with our West coast alumni 
in November at a like high-end camp in the Palisades that the owner donated to us for the weekend. So it'll be, I can't wait, I can't wait. Abby and I will both be there and then the advocates of each of the locations will be there and the alumni will be there. And it, to be in person with other people that have made it as far as they did and, and being able to live a life of their choice. We often say get to rewrite their narrative. I just can't even wait. It's in November. That's exciting. And so this is like your first annual, yeah, like you've, so we'll, you've done it once now. So. No, this, this is our first time ever doing the alumni retreat. And then okay. next year it'll be like the East Coast. So we'll keep splitting up the country because that's a lot of people. Yeah, but that's a lot of people. That's great <laughs> that you have to split it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so just many. so excited. I, I think that too is that the success really comes in and how people view themselves. Like we measure self-esteem. We do financial wellness. We measure independence and how they, it's like the things that we measure, who do you trust? When did you last laugh? What are your anxieties? What do you worry about? What are your barriers? And in time, most of those increase except for barriers go down. And so you can see that they don't need us by the end. And that's the whole goal, right? Of not needing mm -hmm. someone for that fiscal independence support. We need many different layers of support throughout our lives. I always look at like a spoke of a wheel. We're just one of them. But it's awesome to be like, hey, I'm working as... I'm trying to give you a different example. It's a lot of case managers. A lot of people get into the, this line of work, but not everyone does. There's a chemical engineer. She's a, an engineer in Russia and she was trafficked here, labor trafficked here. And she didn't end up doing it, but like you got connected with Morgan Stanley in their world as an engineer and really got the mentorship there. So everyone that, that reaches the pace, the place of finishing their empowerment plan or finishing the version of empowerment plan that worked best for them during the phase of the life that they were into the time they were with us, uh, feels that empowerment and feels like I did this on my own. The other piece of Empower Network that I think I'm really proud of is that they don't owe us anything. So in the trafficking world, everything's always in exchange for something. And you're constantly feel like you're in debt and you owe something to somebody else. So we say right at the beginning, which, and they can't believe this, it does, and sometimes they don't even believe it until like they're out of the program, is that we're not gonna ask them to, to represent us. We're not going to ask them to do anything for us. We're not gonna ask them to donate back to us. They're not gonna ask them to pay it forward. We're not asking anything of them. We just want them to have a good life. And they just don't, they just can't, most people can't believe that. What's the catch? And even when we, we pitched this <laughs> to our first partners in New York, <laughs> they even said, what's the catch, Christy? And I was like, no, 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 that's a real thing. Like, that's really what we believe. And now actually the person that said that to me is funny because she's our New York advocate. She was working as the director of an anti-trafficking program in New York. And she's the one that she was like, okay, but seriously, like everybody wants something. And I'm really proud of that because I do believe that People can choose to say something about us or to represent us, but it's never something we ask of them because there's always a power dynamic and we, we don't want to be anything associated with their trafficking experience and say, this is a different life and you're choosing this and we're just walking alongside of you to choose that. So that's, I think, what I'm really proud that we don't set the agenda, that we don't create success for them, that they walk into their own light at their own time. So with your alumni, and I want to call it a retreat because it sounds fun. 
I imagine that you probably are going to have some of these participants come back and then feel a desire to become involved, not out of obligation, but out of their sense of empowerment and wanting to share that in their experience. And everybody's experience is unique. So I'm sure that they have their own um, strengths. Do you see that a lot? Do you see a lot of your success stories coming back to try to become involved? Yeah, I think that's the kind of organic part that Empower Network has been. Things have all, the stars have aligned with Empower Network because we let it work organically. And so even with this survivor network and the alumni network happening, we're asking them what they want and how they're going to run it. But it's taken us five years to get to a point that we can facilitate and hand off. And so that's the only way anything works. The speaker series that I mentioned, that's the only way that works. We listen to say, what do you want to hear? What's important in your life? And so one time they said, we want to know, we want to talk to a trauma expert on what it's like to date after the life. And so we had a trauma expert uh, therapist on that was awesome. And they had all these that's questions. That's amazing. About, like, how do, I don't actually know how to trust a guy after this. What do I do? When do I disclose my trafficking? So we try and listen at all levels of Empower Network to what are they saying? What are their needs? And yeah, I think I've seen that more than ever where members and alumni were like raising their hands. They're like, I know you're not asking me, but I want to tell people about you. Mm-hmm. And I, in the last eight months, we have gotten so many survival nominations slash referrals were survivors who've gone through Empower Her Network. Like, how do I nominate people that I know, survivors, because they would love this and they're going to benefit from it. So we were creative. We're starting to partner with like different survivor networks and communities to be able to nominate people as well, because that's means that I feel like we're doing something right. That if the survivor communities are saying, you need to go to Empower Her Network, yeah, it's going to change you. Then I feel like, okay, we can see, we can keep going. <laughs> it's self-testimonial. And I, I think what I'm hearing you say is perhaps your alumni network might have its own nomination um, forum or way of doing that to, to spread the love. That's really neat. And you've said five years a few times. And I just want to tell you, having started my own law firm and knowing what I know about businesses and nonprofits and the longevity Five years is, I would love to hug you, pat you on the back, cheer you. That's amazing that you've come so far from going from four participants to, what did you say, 179, I think. That's, holy cow, that is impressive. I have got to give you kudos for that. And this was just a dream and a desire of yours that you turned into something so impressive. I can't find a different word. Just very impressive. Tell me about if someone were to want to become involved. I looked at your website. Tell me what your website is for the listeners. Yeah. So it's www.empowerhernetwork.org. And I just, I'm not trying to be humble, but there's a a million people that started with me too. So Abby, my co-founder is, comes from a high tech business background. She's also a best-selling author. She's one of those people that can do everything. Um, Uh We set up Empower Her Network like a business as far as being transparent at every single level. And I was great at the program piece. She was great at the business side. And then we have an entire board. We have tons of volunteers, which comes to your next question about how to get involved. We only exist because people have cared enough to look outward in a volunteer capacity for the most part and say, wow, I didn't know this existed. How can I get involved? 
And Abby is a perfect example, full-time volunteer. Sometimes she's more than full-time. And then our board of directors. But to get involved, our website is pro bono. Our marketing is pro bono. Our accounting is pro bono. Our database development and maintain maintenance is pro bono. And that's because really good people said, wait a second, I have a skill set that I can offer. Getting involved at partnership levels, and I, I don't mean partnerships, organizations to nominate are really awesome, but like employment partnerships of saying, wait, I run a small business. I can employ somebody that graduated from Empower Her Network who wants to work in, you know, wants to become an admin assistant that has the economic empowerment background to do that. I think introductions to corporations, introductions to foundations, that's you know, the way the nonprofits work is it's always who it's still like that. It's always if you can get an introduction <laughs> somewhere. I don't know when it's going to change. It's um, never going to change. It's never going to change. No, although I do have to say one of our first founding funders, not founding funders, but they came in pretty early was the Novo Foundation, which is, is Peter and Jennifer Buffett's foundation. And they came in because they said, wait a second, Empowered Higher Network's doing something no one else is doing. How can we get involved with them? They funded us and then they actually did a three-year funding program with us that ends this December to say, no one else is doing this. We don't want you to fail. So that was an, that, and that was an introduction by our partner that was doing that crisis work. So I think introductions, I think small, sometimes small events where people don't, you can imagine, Abby makes a joke often that when she's at cocktail parties, which by the way, no one goes to anymore because it's been COVID, but I don't know what she's talking about. When she, she said she went, and I find it now too, when someone says, what do you do? And you start talking about human trafficking, all of a sudden people are like, I'm going to go to another drink. I'm starving. But they don't want to, they don't want to have the talk. And so I think sometimes the best way to start is to being able to lean into the conversation and saying, okay, what actually do you mean? And to be able to like what I said in the beginning to, to not unhear it, to say, okay, wait, maybe I should educate myself about that. If I'm at a restaurant, or a nail salon or a massage, maybe there's trafficking happening. I was at an event once where somebody raised their hand and were like, hey, what do you think about this white man shows up every day with all of this, these Asian women, drops them off at this nail salon, picks them up and drives them back to the city at night. I don't, do you think that's like trafficking? And I was like, I, I don't know, but there's no reason you can't call to report that. So it's mm -hmm. just, when you see anything that's, that doesn't seem right, you can do something about it, right? We're all like, if you see somebody in a hotel that like something seems off, there's no reason not to call and report that. As much as survivors don't trust law enforcement, right? Because they're sometimes the buyers, but you better do something rather than not being able to sleep at night than saying, oh my God, what if that poor young girl was being trafficked and I could have done something. So I think leaning into the conversation, to be honest, for many people is number one and not turning away from it and educating yourself on where does this exist in Vero Beach, in Tampa, in every location? How does, what does it look like? Is my child, people always want to know, is my child vulnerable? This isn't taken, the movie. We're not talking about that's what it. everyone thinks it is oh. and and a lot of people only believe it's sexual trafficking and not labor trafficking and, and there it, it there's oh wow yeah and there's i think there's 25 different types of trafficking sex and labor obviously the ones that we identify as but anything can fall under that labor i'm trying to think if i know any labor 
trafficking survivor that didn't also have exploitation in their life because oftentimes especially the immigrant population is labor trafficked here for factory work or domestic servitude and often they're abused and exploited during that as well mm -hmm. uh, and depending on your location in Tampa where we were in the beginning it was all labor trafficking survivors mostly immigrant survivors that has we changed the population we work with because we've expanded our partnerships there but so again so getting involved I think little things so we we sell these empowerment well you can't see it on the podcast but we sell empowerment bracelets on our website $25 makes a huge difference all because of that funding that I mentioned earlier the the Buffett funding all of our operations are underwritten so every dollar that anyone donates to EmpowerNet goes to directly to our programs directly to survivors I don't know how many people can say that I honestly don't know really anybody else that can say 100% of everything that we receive goes directly to our target population. Not many people can, because what you're doing is expensive, but you're doing a good job of explaining how you need the collaboration of businesses, individuals, partnership programs, and things like that. I saw on your website also that you have your products that you sell for what what's the word I'm looking for financial support for the program but you also have ways that people can partner with you can you talk about that a little bit too yeah so I think besides the ways that I mentioned too if anyone's ever interested in having any type of awareness event so to be to be totally honest we've never spent any money on fundraising we've had house events right so we our board does not and, and maybe we will one day, I doubt it. We have a 9% efficiency rate, which means like part of my salary and like printing and stuff, we, we all operate remotely and that keeps the cost down. We meet in the field, it keeps the cost down. Everything we do, we really focus on that actually could be spent on survivors instead of marketing or whatever it is. So if anyone's ever interested in having any event at their house, that's how we spread the word the most where you're sitting at a house with maybe 10, 20 people of your friends and Abby, me, a board member, an advocate come in and just say, hey, this is who Empower Her Network is, 20 minutes, you have questions. It's really an invitation to open to the conversation so people can know it. That is a beautiful, easy way that people can choose to have the conversation or not. I think what I found with those is that when that happens year after year, it's interesting at the beginning, it's mostly women, and then they start inviting their husbands, their partners, their colleagues, and the audience changes over time. And they might hear the same message every year, but it takes a long time to digest. So those have been really successful to us. And I will let you know, we have a Tampa one coming in the fall. Yeah, so that's, I'm not sure the date, but I will get back to you with that when it is. But we try and have those in every single location that we're at. And that's hosted by somebody and we show up. Sometimes we have our partners come. I think always, anytime anyone wants to reach out with any subject matter expertise. So from, there's a woman in New Jersey who is doing a fundraiser for us with her group of friends that she's working on the sponsorships herself. She's working on the events. I, she's been awesome and doing it all because she believes in what we're doing. And then I think Besides like events or spreading the word, always contacting us if there's any, hey, have you thought about, this is one that's not as exciting, but right now we're doing our audit for the first time. 
So like initially I was like, I'm sure there's an auditor out there that will want to help us. We haven't found that yet. But like those type of connections and having that conversation is the how we keep our efficiency so down. Saying, actually, I would love to be able to offer that. We have a, a, a law firm that has kept us on retainer or they, does that have the right terms yet? They kept us on retainer for them, for our government. They kept, we kept them on retainer. That's all pro bono. And they say like, how can we help? Can we look at your bylaws to make sure they're up to date? Can we look at your conflict of interest policy? So there's every level that we can have people involved in Empower Her Network by just donating their time and expertise, as well as I, I wear this empowerment bracelet every single day, just so people can ask me about it. And so I can say, no, actually what this means is hope over despair of truth over light over darkness of I describe what it is. So people can say that actually exists in the world and I can actually help. I'd be a part of this by spread the word. I want you to talk about that symbol on your bracelet because I, I saw it and wow, that's a powerful symbol for what it, it and it, I think it fits what you're doing perfectly. Can you describe it? Yeah. So it's the Daya symbol. Spell that. D-I-Y-A. Okay. And Lulu Frost, Lisa Salzer, traveled to India. She's a, a jeweler in New York. Donated her time and her talents to work with survivors in India to create this bracelet. And so the Daya symbol is a lamp and it represents the victory of light over darkness knowledge over ignorance and focuses on hope over despair. She developed that with them. Orange is the color of the band because orange represents the fight against women and violence. And then on the back of it, it says forever free, mm-hmm. as in reminding people that there are people that aren't free right now that are, if we call it modern day slavery, but are doing things not doing things against their will every single day and that we don't think about it. And so she traveled and then this bracelet launched Empower Her Network. And because of her, and and so the survivors in India got profits from this as well, from the beginning for their creation and making it. And then it launched Empower Her Network. And this is another really amazing example of how Empower Her Network has been really organic and really allowed like the universe to say something. The skim, Abby reached out to the skim. If you don't know, it's like a millennial online newspaper. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay. So in 2017, I'm sure it's still really big. I forget how many followers it has. They posted about the empowerment bracelet on the skim. So funny. And this is when we were just starting. It took off so much that we made... So it was $50 a bracelet at the beginning. We made $80,000 off this bracelet from people believing in Empower Her Network because they read about us on the skim. And typical nonprofit style, I was the shipping person. You can imagine. <laughs> like I was like, oh, and my, at that point it was like during Thanksgiving and my phone would ding every time somebody ordered it. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't, this was like going viral. I, didn't, I don't know what to do. So it was very fun. My, my family. But that's, that's so amazing. And so even from that publicity, so like we need some more people to be reminded that we're still out there, I think, because that was the beginning. It was exciting. It was a launch, but I still have contacts from people that contacted me from the skim from Santa Barbara and saying, wait a second, I run this women's empowerment group that is funding 
just what you're talking about, how can I get involved? And so we, we need more buzz about this is, we grew during the pandemic. There are more survivors than ever. The online exploitation is a whole nother topic we could talk about that's increasing during COVID and, and what's happening with webcamming and mm. OnlyFans and all that. But I think mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is that there are so many people at this crossroads of saying, she's got it. They've got it. If only they could catch a break. And if there's any, I think the other connection, if there's anybody in the media that would be interested in talking about Empower Network, we're there. Like we're, we can be in any location anywhere because we're a national problem or a national solution. I do think one day we'll be in every location. The only thing stopping us right now is funding. Our model works everywhere. So there's like a million ways to get involved. I think what there are, what, what are you interested in? And then we can help facilitate. If you really want to be involved with us, we want you involved. Now we yeah. also have to be really careful because traffickers are really smart and manipulate the whole system. So like anytime we are on videos or anything, like I'm checking, like making sure we know who that person is because it's my worst fear in the world is that a trafficker can manipulate any situation. So that's the one piece that I don't think people understand either that, like I said, in the beginning, people are trying to that buy and sell. And maybe we said this before we started talking, but People are trying to buy and sell the same commodity, as they call it, a human being over and over again for their profits. And they're doing it successfully. And they are having more meetings and more podcasts. I don't know if they have podcasts, but I'm sure they do about how to grow this $32 billion industry than we are talking about the solutions. And so we need to talk more and we need to come up with even more solutions and more people need to be part of the solution so that we can break this terrible cycle of exploitation mm -hmm. and they feel people like often I hear graduates and, and maybe back to your question of where what are your successes I think when someone says to me because I've done this work on this empowerment plan my daughter will never have to make this choice and to me I'm like I don't know bigger success than that that she feels like she has liberated her daughter because she can pay her bills and give her daughter what she considers options in life where she might have felt like she only had one and so yeah. that piece if you just think about that I don't know how you couldn't get involved you're breaking the cycle and you're teaching these individuals how to break the cycle exactly what you said about this woman and her daughter she knows how to break the cycle right now and it is a cyclical system unfortunately hopefully this podcast will bring some sort of attention and help you grow your network as you call it and i would love to be a part of it and i think what you're doing is fantastic and i'm i am in awe of what you're doing how quickly you've done it the impact that you've made so far i'm probably going to order a bajillion of those bracelets and spread the word anything in parting that you'd like to say to the listeners who are listening I think thank you. Thank you for listening to a topic that most people turn away from. Thank you for looking outward, for caring. I, I hear from survivors all the time. I didn't know people cared about me. I didn't know they noticed me. I didn't know they saw me. And that piece, you you can't you can't put a price tag. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that, but on what it feels like to have compassion and to be able to feel like someone is giving you compassion and giving you love, even if you never met them. So the fact that we made $80,000 off a bracelet and our every member has a bracelet, we give these to all of our members. And so Susan, you could be wearing a bracelet you could pass somebody in the street. She could be a member wearing a bracelet or not. They were all part of the network and trying to do yes. this together. 
I think I think it's really brave and courageous to people to listen to something that could be so hard and so horrific. And you hear all the horror stories about, again, like the stolen movie, that's by the way, less than 1% of the population that's actually trafficked. But I think what we don't hear is the hope. And we don't hear what happens after they were trafficked? What happens after they were rescued from this hotel room? Where are they now? What happened to their lives? Where are they 10 years later? And so that's the piece that I think that if we can start focusing on and stop focusing on, oh my God, someone bought and sold them 35 times a day and they were forced to have sex. Okay, we don't ask their story because we're really interested in helping them rewrite their narrative and creating a story that they want. And so if more people can think of it like that, instead of this sensationalism industry that people are choosing to, to be in or due to their circumstance, that's the best choice they have. And they're so empowered for doing it. I think that's the piece I want people, the listeners to walk away with that there's so much hope involved for so many people, if given the opportunity. And once given the opportunity, they are sprinting full speed ahead and not looking back. And that is changing their lives and generations of lives after that. Absolutely. And you're doing that with a simple ingredient of compassion. And it may be simple, but look how powerful it is. So thank you so much. Thank thank you. you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful. All right. Keep me posted on when that is going to be in Tampa. I would definitely like to come see you, come visit, get as much information. I told you it's right across down the road from us where we are here now. And I'm really looking to get involved in this and spread the awareness. So thank you for taking the time to help me do that today. Oh, thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for listening to this episode of From Foster Care to Family Law, A Child Welfare Focus. I hope that this interview provided some valuable insight to help you deal with your unique circumstances. If you found this episode useful, please share this with friends and family that could benefit from this information. If you have a family law need or related matter, please contact me directly and I will be happy to help you.